myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hello and welcome to Myth, Magic, Medicine again. And today I'm going to be talking to Melinda Williams-Willingham. Is that right? Yes, that it is. is. It's terrible. We've known each other for a while now. We've been accountability partners for a while. And right. just, hi, this is Melinda. <laughs> Melinda is like me, trained in pediatrics, but she's stuck with it. And she is just opening her second office. And I don't know quite where this conversation will go, but I'm really excited to be having it and sharing it with all of you. Hi, Melinda. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Denise, for inviting me uh, to come have a conversation with you. Um, about quite a few different topics. So love to start uh, opening up our conversation. I am a pediatrician, as Denise mentioned, and I wanted to talk to everyone and just share a little bit about my journey uh, and share some tips for others out there who might be considering um, whether or not they are walking in the footsteps and the path uh, that they have uh, imagine for themselves, especially at this point in your life, particularly the, the middle age point of our life and our career. Do you find that you work with other people that are doing this? So you, you help guide people, you're a coach as well. Um, yeah. Do you find that, that people make dramatic changes or is it a little tiny shift that they make? Do people yeah. realize that they're allowed to change their mind about what, how they want to spend their time they have on this earth? <laughs> Absolutely not. So I am not a coach. Uh, instead, I think my expertise lies more in, as you mentioned, guidance, consultant work, and mentorship, mm -hmm. um, where I definitely receive quite a few calls uh, from individuals that know my journey, know my story, uh, that I have, you know, previously been in a very large uh, medical practice setting with um, four or five locations, and subsequently pivoted to something a little bit more in, um, intimate, more boutique-like. And they also know that I've done some nonprofit work as well. And um, they have a lot of questions about what made me um, pivot from the traditional outlay of what people think about uh, when you become a doctor. All I knew was my family said, hey, if you want to be a doctor, go to medical school, be a doctor, and that's it. Yeah, I've right. You come out really... minted and, and that's it. Yeah. And that's don't teach you the business side of things. They definitely yeah. don't teach you the business side. And, you know, I think just as others, um, are, we are not just one dimensional human beings. We mm -hmm. often have many talents, interests, um, et cetera. And um, there are so many different ways to incorporate what you love, what you're passionate with, along with other interests. And I, I'm a strong believer that if you have such a gift or talent, it's there to share with the world. You mm -hmm. can help others along their journey and continue to make an impact and hopefully make, whether it's your personal family or your community or where you work, hopefully make it just a little better place. But whilst you're feeling, and by doing that work energizes you as well, not to, not to allow yourself to be drained by service such that you then become resentful of the service. I think there's a lot of that in medicine. I think that's a, a lot of us suffer from that. Why am I still doing this? Why can't I go home to my own kids, <laughs> particularly <Exactly>. in pediatrics? <laughs> <laughs> and what I didn't know at the time was that some of the early um, work 
that I did actually was an antidote to uh, burnout. And I'm not here today mm -hmm. to talk about burnout, um, but I just want to um, just talk a little bit about how you have to really stay true to yourself um, mm -hmm. and, and stay in alignment with your core principles. I find that when you tend to deviate from that and you start to kind of contort yourself to mm -hmm. align with what you know, corporate world says or wherever you happen to work, um, I think that's when a lot of people become unhappy um, and not satisfied and they become disengaged. So, so can we back up a little bit? What has been your journey? Because okay, we know you went to medical school because you've got an MD <laughs> and you went to pediatrics. Where did you do your residency? My residency training was in New Jersey. At the time, it was called uh, the University of Dentistry and Medicine of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, they subsequently have been, um, I believe, all networked into another um, larger institution. So mm -hmm. it doesn't exist anymore, but New Jersey. But they still have a medical school in New Jersey. It's yes. Okay. You can do. still go there. Yeah. So uh, did you go straight from, you You did a straight residency? Did you do fellowship or did you go straight I did not do. I did not do uh, a fellowship at all. So I attended Howard University Medical School. Mm -hmm. And from there, I went to um, the UMDNJ in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I thought about doing uh, a fellowship, but I actually became a mom. I actually had one child in my second year of medical school. And I had my second child in my second year of my pediatric residency training. And so my thought process and what I valued um, changed a little bit yeah. and I no longer wanted to really go into fellowship. I can't imagine having it. I know several doctors have told me they had children during medical school, but I just can't get my head around it. I had my first child in second year of, of residency also and, and the second one in fellowship. The third one was a whole different experience. I was an attending. I could take time off and did. It was amazing. <laughs> so, so that does obviously motherhood changes where you think your life is going often getting married changes where you think your life is going when did you move to atlanta i moved to atlanta in 1998 mm -hmm. and subsequently i um, took a position with a local um, hospital in gwinnett county mm -hmm. and actually at the time i um, took a position with a pediatric outpatient clinic and they only accepted Medicaid, which is very interesting. Um, it, it, there were a lot of problems uh, with our state Medicaid. And a lot of physicians just decided they weren't gonna accept Medicaid at all. So the hospital mm -hmm. created a clinic um, for those uh, who are underserved. Okay, was that included the HMOs that were folded into Medicaid or just plain Medicaid only? So at the time, it was just playing Medicaid. The HMOs came later. Okay. So after doing that for three years and realizing, oh my gosh, I still feel like I'm a resident. I had to yeah. get up in the middle of the night to admit patients. And that was definitely not the career that I had imagined after completing residency. I did not mm -hmm. want to continue that. Uh, so subsequently, I began my search uh, to look into private practice. Um, there are some pluses, of course, pros to working for a hospital system, um, but I found it very um, bureaucratic and it became very difficult for me to uh, begin to incorporate some of my thoughts or ideas yeah. on how I can help, you know, patients or help make the workplace better. 
what a, what a lovely idea. Why don't you form a committee and we'll think about it? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what was your next step? Did you just strike out on your own or did you have some similar-minded fellow to join you? Yeah, so I, I did not strike out on my own, but I did find a practice that seemed to be in alignment with my philosophy on practicing medicine. So I um, joined as an employed physician initially for the first three years. And then subsequently I became a partner of that pediatric practice. And um, I remained there for about 20 years and we went from about one location to four locations uh, at the time that I um, subsequently left in 2021. Mm -hmm. And so it was time for you to leave. What did you want to do next? And, and how much soul searching did you have to do before you reached that decision? Oh, that's such an interesting question. <laughs> I, I think uh, I realized in probably 2017 that um, I wanted to practice medicine differently. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do that, but I had just attended a, um, a tech conference. And usually all of my experience has been going to the traditional, you know, medical conferences, mm -hmm. et cetera. But it gave me a different uh, vantage point on where healthcare was trending towards. And it started to spark some different ideas and innovations in my mind. Um, so um, to back it up just a little bit, uh, so shortly after that is when um, I became part of uh, one of the founders for a nonprofit organization that utilized um, telemedicine at the time in 2017 and uh, a mobile unit to bring access to care for those patients that really didn't have adequate access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was children and their schools. So I, I definitely did that um, for quite some time. And um, I also realized how much politics, governmental rules, policy, all these things <laughs> really sometimes could create a barrier uh, to delivering care the way that you would like to. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, um, also during that time period, I became the chair um, for the legislative committee for the state of Georgia, the Georgia chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I still am the chair. I think it's been about 15 years now. And um, subsequently, I was appointed to the National American Academy of Pediatrics, their Committee on Federal Government Affairs. My term will be ending next year. Mm -hmm. But again, it was just another opportunity to be able to vocalize how uh, I thought that I could make impact or um, enter the conversation about how I could help make healthcare better. So long story short, uh, I decided to branch out on my own. It's very interested still on delivering me uh, medicine in a very innovative way, in a very patient-centric way, um, where I don't have to see 35 patients a day and mm -hmm. come home totally exhausted uh, from work. To your so, own children. <laughs> yeah, to my own children. So launched my... Um, um, solo practice in the middle of a pandemic. Wow. I don't know that the timing was, um, you know, perhaps optimal, but in retrospect, I think it was fantastic. It was the perfect timing for me. Mm -hmm. 
And um, we've continued to flourish. We're continuing to grow and impact our community, which outside the Atlanta area, you would not think that there exists um, deserts or pockets where people have difficulty accessing healthcare. Um, mm -hmm. But there, there's still really uh, is such a large need that exists. It, it's a difficulty because of insurance problems or just there physically aren't pediatricians around for them to see? It's a combination <laughs> of both. So in our state, approximately 60 counties do not have a pediatrician. And, and it's growing. Uh, and that has a lot to do with reimbursement rates, et cetera, different pressures that face um, you know, physicians and, and healthcare. So it's hard and to recruit. Mm -hmm. Hard to recruit. And the, the major health centers are, are all, all in Atlanta. I'm very bad at geography. Uh, but is Scottish Rite in Atlanta, or am I confused? You're exactly right. Scottish yeah. Rite is in Atlanta. However, I think part of the issue or the challenges for a lot of the rural communities um, mm -hmm. they're re they may have to drive, you know, four or five hours to access care. That's a, oh, that's a heck of a long drive. That's, that's a heck crazy. of a long drive. Correct. And, you know, even though we have several specialists uh, in our community, you know, for example, certain health insurers, there might only be two pediatric dermatologists for the whole state, uh, you yeah. know, so of course that creates an access issue. But um, so I picked um, Snellville, Georgia where it's a, it's a wonderful mix of uh, people from all over the world uh, and just a wonderful uh, community for me to launch this. What do you think is the, in, in what way do you feel you are practicing that is different than some guy two, two roads over or, or maybe five hours away from you? <laughs> what way do you practice differently? <laughs> One of the ways that we practice differently is we are, I, I definitely um, embrace the philosophy of treating the whole child and the whole family. So we do have a um, psychologist uh, within our practice. Obviously, mental health has been a concern for quite some time in pediatrics, and the uh, epidemic and the concerns are just rising Passive. exponentially. Exactly. And so I love having time with my patients as well. So, um, you know, previously I might have had about five or 10 minutes. Uh, the way that we schedule our appointments, I certainly can have up to um, at 20 to 30 uh, minutes uh, with our appointments, uh, which I absolutely love. I get a, t a chance to really um, understand what that family unit means in order to raise a thriving and successful child. And that is our whole focus. Uh, so we're looking to add additional uh, ancillary services within our practice later this year that will continue to incorporate with wellness. And um, particularly nutrition is another area that I'm very passionate about as well. Um, and the rising epidemic of not only obesity, but type 2 diabetes in the pediatric population, especially um, during the pandemic, uh, there are a lot of um, needs that need to be addressed. And you just simply cannot do that in a five to 10 minute visit. So um, and, those and are- for, for the people who, who worry about finances, like most of us, 
how how well does that work and you still can pay yourself a salary even though you're taking twice as long yeah. as the patient <laughs> so i think one of the ways that you can help make sure that you have a uh, sustainable business model is first and foremost looking at the structure of your staff and your overhead we live in a time where you can certainly leverage technology in many different ways and um, you can still achieve and perhaps even exceed your previous outcomes by leveraging these features so for example uh, one thing that uh, can happen, unfortunately, could be medical errors. Um, and particularly when you're busy in pediatrics and you have a lot of children that are in your office for immunizations or other medications, uh, using a system that, I won't, I won't say their name, but using mm -hmm. a system that actually, if I place an order in my electronic health record, it actually will dispense the correct medication, the correct vaccine. It will not dispense anything that is um, expired, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. It helps with inventory management. So mm -hmm. it does a lot of the, the physical um, demands that used to take quite a lot of time from my medical assistant. So, you know, it allows me to run a little leaner and also mm -hmm. just knowing how to code appropriately, I think um, helps uh, a, a business owner be able to make sure that their profit margins um, are where they need to be to continue to move forward, offering the services uh, that they'd like to offer. Do you do much in the way of telehealth with your community? Or, yes. Yes, I fell in love with telehealth, like I said, probably in 2017. So I continue to utilize telehealth. And I think also it's another way for me to um, be able to build that intimate trust uh, with my families. I think that's another area that's very concerning. There's a lot of misinformation and disinformation, of course, that exists uh, mm -hmm. on the internet and, and families uh, and um, you know parents are often conflicted with what information um, to trust. So if somebody gets sick, like for example, I had somebody yesterday, uh, they thought their child had pink eye um, and they were contemplating going to the emergency room. One of the most expensive ways, of course, to treat a very simple condition. So we were able to offer um, a telemedicine visit even after hours uh, to be able to assist with that family's needs. It was convenient for them. It was pretty simple for our staff as well. Uh, and we delivered that service. And I think the other concept I'd like to stress is within the medical home. There certainly are, um, you know, opportunities and there are definitely reasons why direct-to-consumer platforms should exist. Um, but in a lot of instances, being able to have a similar platform but delivered within the medical home can be even that much more Right, fragmented care is, is such a big issue. Yes. Although I don't tell you about that because Dr. So-and-so takes care of that. No, I need to know all the things <laughs> about your health. Yes. Right. <laughs> so what would you advise a new graduate to, to think about, or even somebody who's reached their middle of their career, they assume, they've, they've okay, this isn't really working for me anymore. 
<laughs> I'm exhausted when I go home. What would you what would you suggest they do first other than take a deep breath? Yeah, so I think you made the first <laughs> important <laughs> a step, which is take a deep breath. You have time to reflect and determine what works best for you. And I think if you still um, lead by that guiding star, your North Star of what your true principles are, that will allow you to navigate that pathway. So I mm -hmm. also would suggest take off the limits and the boundaries. I think mm -hmm. we're so conditioned to think about um, delivering healthcare in one way. There are mm -hmm. many different ways that you can make a difference. Um, and that can be a small way or as big as you'd like it to be. But first of all, you can't even recognize that if you don't take those limitations off of yourself. So I definitely think that's really important. The next thing I would say is finding other people who are doing what you think you may want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and become, a, you know, I would say go back to your childhood. Just become a continued avid learner. Learn as much as you can about what you want to do. So do your research. Find others that are doing that within your community and begin to network. I think when I reflect on when I first finished training, I think I was a little intimidated uh, mm -hmm. initially, you know, going to conferences, going to meetings, and what in the world do I have to offer? I just got finished. Um, There's so many different things uh, that you um, have to offer. So I think that's really, really important. And honestly, the same principles apply uh, in the middle of your career. I, I think people again, begin to think that, well, I'm getting older, you know, um, I'm winding down. I don't have it the way I used to have it. And um, well, certainly there's no way that I can do this now. So I'm stuck with what I know and it's just too much um, of a problem, right? Or too difficult uh, to start and embark on something else different. And again, that's, that's totally not true. And I think being um, geared with like-minded individuals, and like you said, Denise, I'm so happy and thrilled that you're <laughs> my accountability partner. <laughs> it, it helps you navigate, um, you know, the path before you. And then lastly, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Very simple, basic, uh, you know, recommendation or advice that we hear all the time, but truly that is what it takes. Just start and and just, you know, those and I, I think realizing, especially if you're coming from a hospital system or fresh out of residency, and some people start their medical career later anyway, they're already you know, in their 40s, perhaps when they're finishing residency, just because the hospital says this is the way it has to be, doesn't mean it can't be reimagined. <laughs> but you do need a, a network of people to help you, you know, bounce ideas. You could bounce some ideas off of people, which I think ought to segue into what, if you're not a coach, how do you help people? <laughs> and so actually one of the other hats that I wear um, is um, being a medical consultant. Uh, so I have consulted with individual um, physicians as well as health centers. My biggest experience comes with like FQHCs and other um, small to mid-sized practices. 
helping them optimize their workflows and help them. Um, in my old days, I did a lot of implementation with EHRs as well as just opera, um, I guess improve other efficiencies as well. So mm -hmm. a TriStar Medical Solutions name of my con consulting company. And um, I have always enjoyed doing that. And it's interesting how that all got started was because nobody else knew how to do that or configure uh, those templates for your EHR, et cetera. And so I, I was getting frustrated with how um, challenging that was to actually um, help me finish my day. So actually I've been on EHR since 2001, way before EHRs were popular, but or you know, required. <laughs> required exactly and you know I, I could realize immediately that this definitely was going to be the way that uh, our industry was going to to navigate towards but it was so clunky it wasn't intuitive it made it more cumbersome and still even today I think if, if things are not configured or templated in a correct manner um, some people find that um, they go home with mountains of, of charting yeah. To do after work, you know. So, so yeah. is that is that part of your consulting work, helping people to figure out how to not go home with a massive work? Absolutely, massive. So actually, yeah, absolutely. And then on the business side, um, taking a look at your organizational structure, uh, looking at ways that you can integrate other types of technology um, within your within your practice or within your company, um, where you can streamline your efforts. And again, begin to increase your outcomes, hopefully increase your bottom line as well. And in the meantime, improve and increase the customer experience as well. Not sure about calling them customers, but okay. <laughs> yes, they are okay. Well, if I put, I'm putting my consultant business. Yes, I, I realize that, yes. Okay. <laughs> if I go back to the other one, absolutely. They're just, there are patients, there are families. And yeah. since I am in the middle of my career, I really enjoy seeing the second generation now, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That they, is the, that's the wonderful part about pediatrics, I think. That you, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. So are you, do you do this across state lines? Do you just consult for people in Georgia? Are you able to reach out online to people? Help That's a great question. So initially, my experience has all been within the state of Georgia, um, but more recently, I've assisted um, a client in um, Florida and one in Maryland. So I am in the midst of kind of revamping uh, my consultant company uh, because, of course, a lot has happened within the area of mm -hmm. uh, technology and innovation, particularly within the healthcare space. Um, but my goal is to continue to expand my reach a little bit further geographically and across uh, the U.S. and maybe even across the world. Good. <laughs> it's going to be an empire. Yes. But I do think I do think we have to. It doesn't matter whether your goals are tiny or big. They have to be your goals. They have to Absolutely. fit with the, the rest of your life. We aren't just physicians. We're people. <laughs> exactly. We are people. Exactly. And so learning how to utilize other modalities to begin to disseminate the information that you have within yourself to help others along their journey. Uh, that's why I love masterminds or, uh, you know, digital courses. There are a lot of different ways 
uh, to begin to still disseminate that information. I do have a limited capacity <laughs> of what I can do and how many uh, individual organizations that I can take on, um, you know, hands-on one-on-one, but there's still opportunities to be able to, to make that impact and disseminate that information. Do you speak on this subject with at formal conferences or do you go there more as a listener? <laughs> yes, I started off more as a listener. I have uh, definitely spoken professionally um, in this space uh, and looking to do more of that. I would state that um, currently most of my experience now as a professional speaker uh, is aligned around um, the business of medicine as well as advocacy, um, since I've been doing that extensively for 15 years, and how you can take your um, advocacy efforts and actually, if you so choose, uh, you know, start a nonprofit organization or start some other company that, again, begins to um, move forward with the area that you're interested in advocating about. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm learning more about you every time we talk. <laughs> um, this is wonderful. So what, what, um, where do you, see, okay, this is a, a typical coaching question here. Okay. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> that's such a loaded question. And that's actually part of what I'm working on <laughs> this weekend, actually. I, in five years, I see myself um, with the current practice that I have, uh, really, again, just, I, I can see, um, the additional ancillary services that we have, not only with, um, our psychologists, but is there an opportunity, um, for doing more wellness, um, programs within our pediatric space? That's very commonplace within the adult space, mm -hmm. uh, but within pediatrics, you often don't see that as much. So, I'm writing the roadmap and my vision towards that. Um, I see myself um, also in the next five years working more on some of the things that are in my journals. <laughs> I've been journaling for the past 15 years and I probably have, oh, I don't know, about 30 um, uh, titles and I'm not quite sure if I would like them to be a podcast or a book, um, but I've always had an interest in um, doing more in that space. And I can see myself having more time now that I've created um, a practice that better suits my hours and, and reflects uh, a little bit more um, what I'm looking. So looking to practice what I preach about having you know personal time and space for yourself, I'm, I'm dusting some of those journals off and taking a look at what was I thinking five years ago? And does that still resonate today with my core operational principles? And what do I want to bring forth? Do I want to bring that forth in the format of a book or a guide? Or would I prefer just to do a podcast? So I've written lots of things over the years. And I definitely see myself... Um, still working and seeing patients, but I definitely think that instead of like 95% of my time in patient care, that will be reduced as I begin to add others to help me um, operationalize my 
my dream, my mission, you know, for the practice, um, I can see myself uh, reducing um, direct clinical care. And working more of the manager for the... Yeah, and being more of the manager yeah. for that and working on those other projects that have been in my dream. Do you see yourself being a sort of incubator? Would, would uh, more junior doctors come work with you alongside you, help you grow your business, but then go off and start their own satellite yeah. or just their own space? Because honestly, your nose is to the grindstone so long, getting to school, getting through school, getting through, I mean, just getting some time to sleep in residency right. is a challenge. So, it, um, you know, you have to be able to take a breath and look around to see what else is possible. Absolutely. So, so being so an incubator, I think sometimes is the highest compliment. I think one of my, um, I don't want to use the word motto, and the word is definitely escaping me. But, um, but one of the principles that I like to uh, live by is that whoever comes into my um, sphere, whether I'm there to guide them or to mentor them, I hope that they do leave. Um, you know, better. They're tools, they're better equipped to move forward with whatever their journey is uh, to do. Um, so I, I am very grateful and thankful to some of the mentors that I've had over the years. I am who I am because of my family and a lot of good guidance and mentorship. And that's incredibly important. So yeah, I don't mind being an incubator. I would love one or two to stay behind so that when I decide sure. to sell it, <laughs> that they can just, just assume over the practice. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't mind that at all. Sounds great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go though, do you uh, would you like to just shout out your, uh, your contact information for anybody who's been inspired by this, wherever you are. If you're, if you're in Australia, Melinda would really like to talk to you. <laughs> Right. So if anybody um, finds this intriguing or inspiring or you just have general questions, you can reach me in multiple different methods. So on Twitter, I'm always there. It's at mwillingham7. Um, on Instagram, it's at Dr. Melinda Willingham. It's the same thing on Facebook as well. So um, just uh, reach out to me. And on LinkedIn, it's also Dr. Melinda Williams Willingham. You can look and find me there. I and love the show to, notes, of course. <laughs> yes, and the show notes, of course, as well. Love to continue the dialogue and conversation. Thank you so much. And I'll see you at our next accountability meeting. Thanks. Yes, thank you so <laughs> much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember... While we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next.